time it's time for yet another Monday morning message about Christmas songs, traditions, and the like. These are all lighthearted and nothing heavy. Uh, next week we'll cover some of the more uh, ancient ones. Today it's going to be light, all right? We probably have enough heavy stuff going on. Uh, when were Christmas trees decorated? Well, as you'll find out next week, they actually have a very, very long history of being decorated, but the modern day version of the tree and decorations going on the tree, uh, that came from the Middle Ages in Germany. In fact, you'll find Germany is responsible for a great many of the traditions we celebrate in the United States and in Canada, in the United States in particular, because of all of the German immigrants, and they were a vast amount of German and Swedish and Dutch immigrants came to the States. They brought these traditions with them. And since the Middle Ages, they had been decorating trees. As we'll find out next week, in a different form, trees were decorated since ancient times. America, however, uh, they caught on in the 1880s and it, the, um, I'm sorry, 1800s, early 1800s. And by 1851, there was the first Christmas tree lot uh, in New England, which is pretty cool. What about the Christmas pickle? I had not heard of this one at all until I uh, went to my wife's family. We were first married, I believe it was, and um, that she and her brother were looking for the Christmas pickle in a tree, and I was just going, I'm not at all sure what's happening here. Uh, if you're not aware of the tradition, uh, whoever finds the pickle that's hidden in the tree, it's not a real pickle. That would that could be less than perfect. Uh, not an optimal uh, tree ornament. The first person to find it gets to be the one to open their gift first. All right, and so it's a big deal in many homes. It actually started in Woolworths. It used to be Woolworths all over. They were a, uh, a general store uh, on a small scale, but they were everywhere. And you could even have lunch there and uh, they'd make you a sandwich or a soda there. And it was just a big deal back then. Woolworths were in Woolco and they were everywhere. Uh, victim of changing times. But in the 1880s, one of their salesmen ordered way too many of these decorated Christmas ornaments that were pickles. They look like pickles and nobody wanted them. So the only way to get rid of them was to start a story. And they started a story that there was this great and old Christmas tradition about whatever kid found the pickle on the tree got to open the, their gift first. So uh, marketing Marketing saved them from having massive storehouses full of ornamental pickles. Uh, speaking of marketing, uh, Elf on the Shelf, it's another one I certainly didn't grow up with because it started in 2005. It's just, it's not even 20 years ago that this was unleashed upon us. And some people love this to death and some people hate it with a passion best reserved for hating invading Mongol hordes or the Huns or the Vikings, but they, oh, they just can't stand it. And if you don't believe this, just follow Twitter about now. Elf on the Shelf was a book written in 2005 and people wanted to join in with the fun of the book. 
and to date over 13 million of those little elves have been sold. I would imagine it's even closer to 20 million. Uh, the figure I looked at was a few years old. Then there are um, Advent calendars, uh, that Advent Germany, again, 1903, and little kids would, this would help them count down the days to Christmas. And every day you would open up a little door on the calendar, and generally there would be a Bible story, uh, I'm sorry, a Bible uh, passage there, very, very short, or a very small poem to be read. And uh, there were at times a tiny gift. Now these gifts were about like the gifts you would get by putting a quarter in one of those gumball machines, uh, or that you would get if you're, if you're British, and you open up the Christmas cracker, this little white tube of paper, and you grab both ends and you pull. And when it pops open, there's a little cap in there that goes pop and bang, and then uh, something falls out, and it'll be like a paper crown to put on you. So they're tiny gifts. Back then, this was very exciting. I mean, life could be very dull and full of work and struggle, and so to open up and have a new poem. That was that was pretty cool. Well, today they even have them with a, a different beer for each day or a different bottle of wine and some are chocolate and some, and then you can buy so many uh, from Mickey Mouse and the like that have zero mention of anything to do with Jesus. And so that's kind of sad, but you know, to each their own. Um, how about gingerbread houses? Well, once again, hello, Germany. Well, way, 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 way back there. Germany has had a tradition of making gingerbread houses as a dessert, um, and you would pull apart the gingerbread houses. It's how you got gingerbread cookies. Gingerbread men were the same thing. Um, the, uh, in fact, Hansel and Gretel, that old story, uh, it was an edible house. And so they, uh, they enjoyed their edible house. Now, decorating the, Christmas, uh, the gingerbread house with all kinds of candies and fruits, uh, like fruitcake fruits around it, a lot of people give credit to Elizabeth I of England. Um, she really wasn't Elizabeth I of Scotland. That had, the Union of the Crowns hadn't taken place. So, uh, in fact, she killed the Scottish Queen. Uh, but Elizabeth I is given credit for doing that or having it done. I find that very odd. I'm not really sure what that means. Um, how about the Nutcracker ba Ballet? A little Clara's Christmas Eve becomes magical. And it, and it is magical. Um, although to me, you know, having bigger than life-size toy soldiers start marching on you is, again, less than optimal. It was uh, first performed 1892 in St. Petersburg, Russia. It didn't make it out of Russia until 1934 when it was performed in England. And it was 1944 before it got to America. And in 1944, it was first performed in San Francisco. Uh, it is, um, it's a very interesting story. My wife has uh, always been fascinated by it and participated. She was a figure skater. Um, participated in doing the Nutcracker on Ice, which was, you know, it's a lot of fun and, and a lot of skill involved there. Um, how about this? Ugly sweaters? Hello, Canada. This is on you. I mean, Canadians are super nice. I love Canada. I get up there as often as absolutely possible. You guys are just the best. Well, what were you thinking? It's true. You live in Canada. 
therefore you are tundra bound a lot of the year. So you must have a ton of sweaters and eventually some of those are gonna be very ugly. Perhaps that's how, but it was only in 2001 that the Canadians started doing this. I, I don't do it. I did it one year and the people I did it with were the young people of our church at that time in Michigan and delightful, wonderful people. I just felt uncomfortable and a bit silly because a lot of people were going to like the Salvation Army and buying ratty tatty sweaters. Well, now you can buy them pre-uglied for you at Kohl's and places like that. It's rather like you don't have to put holes in your, in your jeans anymore. You can buy those pre-done, same thing. Uh, cookies and milk, that actually be, came out of the depression and it's pretty sweet. In America, during the years of the depression, um, milk was sometimes hard to come by. A glass of milk was quite a treat to offer a traveler or a traveling salesman or guest in your house. Uh, there was, um, you know, cookies, confections. Those were hard to come by as well. And this is when a lot of the candies like, you know, Brock's and things came into play whenever they would make hard candies for people. Um, but again, cookies and milk started in the depression where parents were teaching their children to show thanks. And so instead of eating their cookie, they would put it on the plate for Santa. And instead of drinking all of the milk that they normally would, they would only drink part of the milk and say part of the milk for Santa. And of course that's become bigger over the years where you leave some carrots out for the reindeer or the like. And traditionally the parents ate them. Uh, actually more often, they actually just returned them to the cookie bin so that the kids could still have a cookie. You didn't have enough cookies for you to sit around and just eat your kids' cookies, all right? Um, candy canes, can we just stop this, by the way? Every year, I see it posted on Facebook. Every year before then, it was a, a viral email that would fill up things that the candy canes, you think they're just a decoration. You think they're just a candy. You think they're just there to make dentists have more work, but no, it is religious. It has the story of Jesus and how it's formed. And no, it doesn't. It didn't. People made that up completely. Candy canes had been in Germany since um, 1670. And they were just a candy uh, that people had. And you could pick them up easily because they're candy canes or candy sticks. But it was only in the 1800s that a German-Swedish immigrant in Worcester, Ohio, hung some up on a Christmas tree and people saw that and they went, well, we went on, we went in on that. We, those look pretty, especially that red and white on the green. So, um, it, it took off and it is still the number one selling candy over the Christmas holidays. A fact which makes me a little sadder than maybe it should. Uh, the night before Christmas, I'm going to end with this one. Um, the night before Christmas is really, titled A Visit from St. Nicholas. A ton of our uh, traditional Christmas ideas and stories come from this very inventive and well-written poem by a man named Clement Moore, but he only wrote it in 1822. He wrote it on Christmas Eve 
as a gift for his children. Once again, getting attention from your father and mother, uh, because work, 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 and reading a poem and fun with words was fun. You didn't have to have super electronics. Of course, you didn't have the availability. So you're able to find joy in other things. And I think that that might be a lesson for us um, in turning off some things so that we can pay attention to others. But I don't want to get preachy here. Clement Moore, 1822, wrote it. Here's the thing. He was a theological professor. He was a professor at the, at the General Theological Seminary in New York. And he was embarrassed when people heard about the poem. I think the kids and the family, they started talking about it and copies were shared. And he was very embarrassed because he was a very serious individual. And here he's talking about this uh, big elf coming down the chimney and laying a finger stride his nose he gave with a nod and these eight tiny reindeer or 12 or whatever they were. Um, I, I grew up without Christmas because my parents wouldn't, my dad would not allow. My mom would have, but my dad, um, he was, he was a, a hard man. So grew up without it. So I don't, didn't know any of the reindeer. And, and when I try to name the reindeer by the third one, I'm saying Nixon Humphrey. So it doesn't really work. But anyway, all of that really came from him. And it was 22 years later, 1844, that he allowed his own name to be attached to his poem. I think by that time, he probably was going to be a granddad. And when you become a granddad, things change. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, more ancient and more about the trees and the wreaths and what hell meant to people in Northern Europe and what it meant to give a gift on Christmas Eve. But that's next week. I hope you're enjoying your Advent season. God bless you. Keep tuning in. Uh, our Safe Harbor has... Uh, a, a um, Christmas Eve service for you that'll be broadcast. We also have a, um, a secular fun service uh, of, of, of Christmas songs that'll be done. We're here for you and we're not taking a break. All right. So enjoy. God bless you. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a little while yet, but Merry Christmas.